Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Violence, theft, drugs, graffiti. It's all part of joining a gang. In times like these, we need to protect our kids and our community from gangs. Gangs often prey on teens with low self-esteem who perform poorly in school and who seek a sense of belonging. Protect kids from gangs. Know who they're hanging out with. Encourage them to become involved in school activities. Give kids a positive alternative to gangs. To learn more, visit ncpc.org or contact your local law enforcement agency. A message from the U.S. Department of Justice, National Crime Prevention Council, and the Ad Council. Dad, remember when you asked me, what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, shh, I want to get paid. Well, right after that, you said, there's no job called getting paid. Really? I said that? Yeah. And that's exactly when I knew. I wanted to go to college. You never know which moments will be the ones they remember forever. So take time to be a dad today. Learn more at one eight seven seven four dad 411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Looking for a lift? Experience a seat from the sore with Michael Guido of Metter, Georgia. A man had fallen and the preacher asked, Sam, why didn't you say, get behind me, Satan? I did, he replied. But Satan said to me, since we're both going in the same direction, it makes no difference who leads. There are only two ways, our Lord said. Heaven can be entered only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide enough for all the multitudes who choose its easy way. But the gateway to life is small, and the road is narrow. Only a few ever find it. Our Lord said, I have set before you the way of life and the way of death. It's your move. For your free copy of Dr. Guido's daily devotional, Seeds from the Sore, write The Sore, Metter, Georgia, 30439. Visit us on the web at thesower.com. Hi, Jack, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. This is Jam Radio Network.
whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
Stretch your hands toward heaven and your thoughts. 
don't know which way to go. Don't know remember those in, in mental institutions, in hospice, hospitals everywhere. Remember those, Lord, lost loved ones. someone sins, no matter what they do, seven times in a day, you have to turn back to them. You have to forgive them, Jesus said. This kind of discipleship is demanding. It is painful. I mean, we don't get into this thing entirely for the rewards, but secretly, deep down, we kind of hope for something. That's the Reverend Dr. Chris Tuttle. I'm Peter Wallace. Join us for some conversation and a challenging message of faith. Today, on Day One. Welcome to Day One. 
the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's mainline Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Now, here's our host, Peter Wallace, to introduce this week's speaker. Thanks, Sherry. We're pleased to welcome back to Day One Today the Reverend Dr. Chris Tuttle, pastor and head of staff of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Durham, North Carolina, where he has served since 2008. Chris received his undergraduate education at Davidson College in North Carolina and earned Master of Divinity and Doctor of Ministry degrees from Columbia Theological Seminary in Decatur, Georgia. Chris, thanks for being with us again. Glad to be back, Peter. Last week we learned about the ministries Westminster Presbyterian Church undertakes in Durham, and your areas of focus there as pastor include worship and preaching, leadership development, mission in the community, and coordinating the efforts of the staff and the church session in order to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God, as the prophet Micah put it. Do you see the role of pastor evolving in the days ahead? Very much so, Peter, very much I've been in, been in ministry 10 years, mm-hmm. so not terribly long, but long enough to at least have some sense of the things I do well and poorly. Um, but we figure out the ways we get all of this extraordinary biblical and theological training, and we learn about pastoral care. And then, like anything, you jump in and you learn the practicalities day to day, and you give thanks every day for talented lay people in your mm-hmm. churches who, who, who nudge you the right direction when you need it. I'm spending more and more and more time and continue to be be surprised by the amount of time and energy that is in thinking about the way leadership functions and leadership development with, within the congregation. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about how do, we, how do we take folks from all different walks of life um, to be officers or anywhere else. How do, we, how do we incorporate them into the community in the right kind of way? How do we help them learn about what their gifts are and, and find, find the ways that they can plug in and do great ministry there and, and in Durham and beyond but also thinking more and more about how different people, especially as as I mentioned in my sermon, especially in my generation and younger, the ways we all relate to institutions and how those things are changing profoundly. Mm-hmm. And you used to be able to people would join the church and you sign them up and they're locked in and they'll teach and they'll be a part of a team to teach Sunday school every Sunday morning and they'll come to something every Wednesday night and. Even in your busiest communities, the church was the center of things, mm-hmm. um, and you could count on that, um, and there weren't going to be conflicts that were going to draw people's attention, mm-hmm. and folks would do one or two things in their life beyond work and home. But as, as we, are, we are going more and more different directions and we're splintered in so many different ways, we have to think really, really clearly and carefully together about what is, what is unique about the ministry of the church. Mm-hmm. And how are we different from dance class, or how are we different from the Y, or how are we different from other other places in our community who are doing good and important things? But what's what's distinctive, and what are we saying to our, particularly to our young families? Here's what happens here that you ain't gonna get anywhere else, um, and that will 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 shape you and your family in profound ways. So, how did you find yourself called to this fulfilling work? Both of my parents are Christian educators by profession, mm-hmm. so many of my um, Many of my earliest memories were setting up Sunday school rooms um, and doing teacher training stuff and helping to clean up and vacuum the hay from after the children's service before the adult Christmas Eve service came in and was, was on the ground at the church from the beginning. And either one or both of my parents 
serving the churches that, that, that we were a part of growing up. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was what I knew. Um, and while I really deeply wanted to try and rebel, I just didn't <laughs> have it in me and went to Davidson, which wasn't running very far away mm-hmm. um, and was privileged to grow up in Black Mountain and Montreat where so many gifted leaders, especially mm-hmm. in the Presbyterian Church, but there are all sorts of faith communities around. Um, so I was able to have all these retired ministers and seminary professors mm-hmm. teaching me in Sunday school and middle school mm-hmm. and taking me to lunch and to get to know and to really experience in, in the deepest way possible how church can be family, um, local and larger growing up. Um, so that was that, that was the gift of that, and I did an AmeriCorps year before going to Columbia Seminary to be on the ground with kids, and that was a, a wonderful experience to get to see need and to let my head rest a little bit, um, but let my heart work a lot harder in a different kind of way. Um, but also to run these great programs at the YWCA and working in and out of the school system, which was extraordinary, and, and my real kind of first sense of doing pastoral care as well, um, from pulling kids out of class and spending time building those relationships, but also it gave me a chance to understand when I couldn't necessarily talk about my faith in some of those settings mm-hmm. to realize uh, how important it was to be able to articulate why I did service and why I acted the way I did and, and where those values came from. Mm-hmm. Your wife, Carrie, is also an ordained minister, but I understand she has an important assignment these days. Very, very much so. We think for every couple, but particularly clergy couples, there's a, there's, there's a dance to be done to mm-hmm. figure out how you're going to do ministry and family together. Um, and we, our first stop in Greensboro and Burlington, we served two different churches. Mm-hmm. And then our daughter was born, and then our son was born. And we both, but she in particular, felt, felt deeply called to be home for a season. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we had a chance to move to Durham um, for me to be the pastor at Westminster, um, she said, it's time for me to, to stay home with the kids and we can all go to church together. Because mm-hmm. we had been juggling grandparents and wonderful friends and family, have olden babies in the back of an narthex while we were preaching and doing all those things, which was really wonderful, but it's nice to be be there together now. Mm-hmm. Your sermon today is based on the gospel lesson, Luke chapter 17, verses 5 to 10. Would you read it for us? The apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. The Lord replied, If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave, who's just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, come here at once and take your place at the table. Would you not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink, and later you may eat and drink. Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to to have done. This comes in a section in Luke's Gospel of Jesus' teachings to his disciples, and once again here at the start, Jesus doesn't really directly address the disciples' request to increase their faith, it seems. What do you make of this exchange? This is a really, really complicated exchange, because he's been, as I say in the sermon, Jesus has been pushing them, and everybody around, I mean, not just the disciples, but anybody who's listening, and the scribes and the Pharisees, he's been pushing them really, really hard on who they are and who they're called to be in the world and, and challenging them to some kinds of discipleship that feel pretty painful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I read some of this as just a plea for help mm-hmm. out of their exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Give, us, give us something, Jesus. 
And he turns and, again, doesn't necessarily answer the question, but says to them, I think you have more in you than you think you have. And he calls them to listen to listen carefully, and it doesn't mean that the job is any easier, but it means that they, just like he sent the 70 a couple of chapters before, they have been equipped and are being sent. Go, go be a part. He completely uproots the social order and turns things on his head, turns things on their head in a particularly challenging way, but here he's using the present social order to make his case mm-hmm. in a different way to look at them and say, look, these are, this is how things work for these folks. So you, like them, to go, be empowered, get to work. Chris, we look forward to hearing more about this in your sermon today. Lord Jesus, give us a sticker. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Peter. Glad to be back. Earlier this spring, I finished a fantastic and depressing book by psychologist Gene Twing called Generation Me, why today's young Americans are more confident, assertive, entitled, and more miserable than ever before. Twing investigates the assumptions that many of us have about us. It's my generation, too, taking data from personality inventories given across the last 60 years. Any of us who recruit volunteers or run teams sense things are changing. The way this generation relates or doesn't relate to institutions, their lessening sense of commitment, their anxiety, and perpetual frantic busyness. We are harried and confused and feel so out of control. In her introduction, she writes, Today's under 35 young people are called the me generation, or as I call them, generation me. Born after self-focus entered the cultural mainstream, this generation has never known a world that put duty before self. She points to a friend's daughter, Jessica, born in 1985. When Jessica was a toddler, Whitney Houston's number one hit song declared that the greatest love of all was loving yourself. Jessica's elementary school teachers believed that their most important job was helping Jessica feel good about herself. Jessica scribbled in a coloring book called We Are All Special, got a sticker on her worksheet just for filling it out, and did a sixth-grade project called All About Me. When she wondered how to act on her first date, her mother told her, just be yourself. You have to love yourself before you can love someone else, she proudly proclaimed. If you're reflecting on what this means for the future, Twinge continues, you are not alone. Trying to discern her role as a parent of this new generation, San Francisco Chronicle columnist Joan Ryan wrote, We're told we will produce a generation of coddled, center-of-the-universe adults who will expect the world to be just as delighted with them as we are. And even as we laugh at the knock-knock jokes and exclaim over the refrigerator drawings, we secretly fear the same At first, it seems like a reasonable request. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Jesus has been pushing them pretty hard in the last few chapters. Ever since the end of chapter 9, when Jesus turns and sets his face to go to Jerusalem, 
Jesus has been taking his time, but also moving quite intentionally into the hands of those who would kill him. He commissions 70 disciples, jousts with a lawyer who wants to know who his neighbor really is. He teaches them to pray. He has really difficult words for the Pharisees and scribes, for the rich, for those who have power, and then he tells them not to be anxious, not to worry, which I don't imagine was helpful by then. Chapter 16 contains two parables that both begin with, there was a rich man. We can't serve God and wealth, Jesus says. And for those who are wealthy, a great chasm has been fixed, separating those who have in this life and those who have not. In the kingdom to come, the roles will be reversed. Tables turned upside down. Jesus turns to the disciples, leaning in close. Things will get hard, he says, but don't screw it up. It would be better for a big stone to be hung around your neck and you dropped into the sea than for you to stumble. If someone sins, no matter what they do, seven times in a day, you have to turn back to them. You have to forgive them, Jesus says. No wonder they ask for their faith to be increased. They're exhausted. I am just walking through what they have lived in these chapters. This kind of discipleship is demanding. It is painful. I mean, we don't get into this thing entirely for the rewards, but secretly, deep down, we kind of hope for some kind of reward. For something. A more sympathetic read, and one toward which I am initially inclined, cuts the disciples' break. They aren't making an unrealistic demand Go back and read these chapters. Just read from chapter 10 on. It feels to me like by now they're simply asking for help. Jesus, give us the faith to do this better. You talk about being on guard. You talk about forgiveness. And we want to follow. We really do. But we need you to help us out here so we can embody this great love to which you call us. And Jesus responds, which at first feels painful, isn't quite as bad as it sounds. According to the Greek experts, the phrasing here is more like, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, which you do have, you could say to this mulberry tree. In other words, Jesus is not quite chastising the disciples for their lack of faith, but saying that even a tiny bit of authentic faith, which they already have, is more powerful than they can possibly imagine. Or as Fred Craddock says so eloquently, even the small faith they already have cancels out words such as impossible, a tree being uprooted, and absurd planting a tree in the sea, and puts them in touch with the power of God. They do not need to have their faith increased. They need, rather, to trust in the power of the faith they already have. That doesn't mean we get to take the day off. Jesus asks them in a way that feels in tension with last week's lesson, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, if they would thank a slave, treat him well for doing exactly what he is supposed to do. Just a moment ago, Jesus was uprooting the social order, but now he's keeping it in place to make a rather pragmatic point. Guys, 
He says to them, you wouldn't invite your slave right in and have him sit down at your table, would you? He's almost being absurd to make his point. Are you really going to thank a slave for doing exactly what he was supposed to do? So in the same way you disciples, when you have used the great faith that you have, you can be satisfied. You won't ask for a sticker. You won't ask if you are now feeling fulfilled. You will sit down, wipe the sweat off your brow, and be glad you have done exactly what you have been called to do. There's certainly an argument to be made really domesticated discipleship. Being a good church person too often means you worship enough, serve on committees when it's your turn, do so with competence and grace. You ask polite but insightful questions. When you're finished, if you're lucky, we'll send you a letter. I write all of my officers what I feel are heartfelt thank you notes when they are finished. Our clerk of session, a key administrative leadership post, just finished a three-year term. We spent time crafting a beautiful, if I must say so myself, resolution of gratitude that we read to him aloud with pomp and circumstance. We stood up and clapped. We know this life of faith is hard. We find ways to avoid it or avoid the most radical of its claims. Maybe, my friend Andrew writes, Jesus isn't prepared to reward servant leadership because he believes it carries its own reward. This is the way that we become most fully human. This is the way that we fulfill our calling, how we become the very human beings God created us to be. Maybe it is its own reward to be that which we have been created to become. At the very end of her book, Twinge gives a few tips on how to communicate with Generation Me, how to engage them well in the workplace as a broader society. Her final tips speak directly to young people. She tells them, she tells us to watch less television, to value social relationships over virtual ones, to be on guard against depression and isolation. Finally, she tells them that the best thing they can do is to get outside of themselves to help others to engage their community in a deep and honest way. She quotes a 28-year-old Drew who says, individualism and, and serving yourself are dead ends. Service to others and leaving a lasting legacy is really at the core of deeper human needs. Strong relationships and community keep us true to who we are and help us to see what our lives are meant to be. I imagine that Jesus would push back on Drew a bit, reminding him that being true to who we are and finding meaning for ourselves is not the end goal. It's not all about us. But if we were to realize the power of the smallest amount of mustard seed-sized faith that we have been given, we would understand that Jesus the Christ is at work even now through us changing things all around us. And our task is to get out of our own heads a bit, quit moaning about how hard life is, or asking for our faith to be increased to like those disciples did, and live with the faith that we have been given.
early last June, I walked down the hall to my daughter's first grade classroom for her end of year party. After pizza, we played with bubble wands outside, drew with sidewalk chalk. The teacher had made a video interviewing the kids about the year. We gave those teachers some nice gifts to express our gratitude. Then came the awards. Pretty early on, us overachiever parents realized that every single kid was going to get one. I rolled my eyes and pondered the tragic culture we were creating. Why can't we teach them how to do the hard things? My daughter got hers, and she hopped up, excited as everyone else clapped as she gave the teacher's assistant a hug, shook the teacher's hand. And those darn kids kept clapping for everyone. They didn't get tired. They weren't being competitive. It was my problem, not theirs. And then Miguel got an award, and you couldn't wipe the smile off his dad's face. Who had gotten there just in time, sweaty and jean shorts and a T-shirt. And they clapped for Miguel. And they clapped for Shranath, and they clapped for Addison, and they clapped for Christina, who crawled out from under a table to get out from behind where she had been hiding. Her parents, and who knows why, didn't come. And I thought maybe some of these kids know how hard life is already. They get it. They understand the tough slog ahead that will be required for them to be faithful in this life. And if only for a moment we could take advantage of the mustard seed of faith we have been given and authentically make space for another, then we will have done what we ought to have done. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, Holy Christ, don't give us more faith. But through the power of your spirit, teach us to use the faith that you have already given us. Call us to things that are hard and that are true, knowing that a life of service to you is its own reward. Amen. One is on the move. We're excited to announce that we've moved to our new recording studio and office suite on the campus of Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. We're excited about our new home and grateful that a faithful supporter has offered a generous matching grant to help us pay for the construction of our new studio. We need to raise $25,000 as soon as possible in order to receive the match. Please help us meet this goal. Send a generous donation to our new address, Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. That's Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Or give securely online at day1.org. Thanks to your support and your prayers, the future of Day 1 is brighter than ever. Now, Chris Tuttle offers some final reflections on his sermon today. 
with our host, Peter Wallace. Chris, you made a valid point about the disciples' request of Jesus to increase their faith. After all, it comes after a lot of hard teachings by their master, and they're probably wondering how they can possibly follow him. They're asking for help, you said, and Jesus' response may not be as painful as it sounds at first. He's saying they already have faith. It may be tiny faith, but it can be powerful faith, and they need to trust in the power of the faith they already have. And we have it too, I take it. But how do we do that? How do we trust in the faith we already have? Oh, my goodness. Fantastic question. As I talk about a little bit at the beginning of the sermon, we, and I'm speaking for, 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 for my context and a lot of the mainline context too, white, middle class, fairly well-educated folks, we get in our own heads pretty easily, and we're thinking about who we are and where we are and who's, who's winning what and who's, who's achieving what things mm-hmm. and what value those things have, um, and how do, we, how do we create the right kinds of communities where we can listen to each other and genuinely be grateful to each other for the work that is being done, which is significant mm-hmm. and really, really important. Um, but also make sure, um, as we remind our youngest children, as we push our youth to head on mission trips and work pretty hard, mm-hmm. not, not mm-hmm. sightseeing visits, you're going, you're going to bust your tail. Um, and as we invite our adults, that it is in these places, the places in my life where I've felt most rewarded, isn't when I, those few occasions where I've done something and somebody's, been grateful and it's been recognized, but it's been in those places where a bunch of people have gotten together and worked really, really hard on mm-hmm. something. And at the end of the day, you're, you're pretty exhausted, but it is an exhaustion um, that is filled with satisfaction and gratitude because you've had your hands in something meaningful. And the sweat and the blood sometimes and the bruises and the energy you've put in, you know matter because you've spent genuine time with each other and you've made a difference for somebody else. You pointed out that in many ways we have thoroughly domesticated discipleship and sort of expect a reward for doing what we do. Perhaps Jesus' point here is that discipleship carries its own reward, to be that which we have been created to become. In this culture of easy rewards, of getting stickers of approval on our papers simply for doing the basic work, that may not be an easy message to hear. Any thoughts on how we can come to accept this reality more fully? I think there's a, a, a tension to be found because I, I think it's important in, a, in our churches everywhere to create cultures of gratitude, mm-hmm. to let folks know the many folks we have surrounding us in our congregations who are doing a lot and putting a lot of time and energy into things, that that's important mm-hmm. and that that matters and to not dismiss folks. I mean, I think that's important and I want to make sure that doesn't mm-hmm. get lost in things, but also still turning it outward and realizing that too often in the church, you know, do, doing your time on a committee and teaching a class and being around we equate that with discipleship too easily mm-hmm. uh, when the kind of discipleship to which Jesus calls us here and, and in this part of Luke and in the gospel beyond is much more significant mm-hmm. than that, I think, and is about a deep transformation of who we are as individuals and who our communities are in the ways we relate to each other um, with authenticity and with purpose in the ways we are, we are, we are changing and, and challenging the power structures around us that that is the kind of faith to which we are called. And the things we're doing when we're working at church and playing mm-hmm. church sometimes too aren't unimportant, but too often we, we stop there. Mm. And we must go way, way, way beyond to ask really, really hard questions mm. of the powers um, and to not be afraid of those and be invited into that, in, into that kind of conversation. Chris Tuttle, thank you for being with us. Thanks, Peter.
Day One is the voice of America's mainline Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on day one and forever. on Jam Radio 
Kelsey.
Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Thank you. 
This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
He is the creator. Answers with Ken Ham, president of the Apologetics Ministry of Answers in Genesis. Every once in a while I'm asked, how can Jesus be the creator when the Bible says that God created everything? Well, the Bible tells us clearly in several places that Jesus Christ is the creator. Colossians chapter 1 states that Jesus is the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, and that all things were created through him and for him. And the book of John opens by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It goes on to say that all things were made by this Word. A few verses later, John tells us that the Word became the God-man, Jesus Christ. Sadly, many Christians tend to think of Jesus as New Testament only. Well, he was born as a baby in Bethlehem, but he was there in the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning God. You know, as we think about Christ at this time of the year, let's also praise him for being our creator. God's incredible creation is the theme of our next year's Striking Wall calendar. Call us toll-free at 1-888-89-ANSWERS, and next month you'll have a beautiful wall calendar that's also a great witnessing tool. This calendar is yours for a donation of any amount. Call toll-free 1-888-89-ANSWERS, 888-89-ANSWERS, or on the web at AnswersOffer.org. Odds of a young girl being discovered by an industry insider while singing to herself pumping gas? One in 300 million. The odds of the daughter of a clergyman from Severn, Maryland, spending 11 weeks at number one on the U.S. singles charts? One in 19 million. The odds of going on to win six Grammy Awards? One in 1.4 million. The odds of selling over 40 million records? One at 800,000. The odds of this musician and performer having a child diagnosed with autism? One in 110. I'm Tony Braxton, and I encourage you to learn the signs of autism at AutismSpeaks.org. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Autism Speaks. It's time to listen. Brought to you by Autism Speaks in the Ad Council. What do ribs tell us about the accuracy of the Bible? Learn about it on today's Creation Moment. And now, here's our Creation Moments host, Ian Taylor. True or false, women have one more rib than men have. You might be surprised to know how many people believe that men have one less rib because God took a rib out of Adam and used it to make Eve. The fact is that men and women each have 12 pairs of ribs in our chest. However, modern science may now be able to explain why God chose to make Eve by using one of Adam's ribs. A research team from USC has reported that humans and mice are able to regrow removed ribs within a matter of months. The rib, in fact, is the only bone in our body that can regenerate itself. When the researchers removed the rib sections and its surrounding sheath of tissue called the perichondrium, the missing rib sections failed to repair itself, even after nine months. However, when they removed the rib but left its perichondrium, the missing rib entirely repaired itself within one or two months. As one creationist group explains it, quote, many doctors know about this feature of the rib being able to regenerate itself. Quite often they will very carefully remove a rib and use it to rebuild or replace things like uh, damaged jaw bones or eye sockets. 
Not only does the patient get their face reconstructed, but in time, the rib grows back and they are as good as they were before the surgery. So we once again see that the Bible makes perfect sense down to the very smallest detail. We now offer one of the Internet's largest selections of biblical creation books and DVDs with thousands of biblical creation resources available. Visit our online bookstore at creationmoments.com. The First Amendment reads, The people shall not be deprived of their right to speak. The odds are the person you just heard is an African-American. Because African-Americans are twice as likely to suffer a stroke as white Americans. That's twice as likely a stroke could rob you of the freedom to speak your mind. Help beat the odds. Call 1-888-4-STROKE or go online to strokeassociation.org. Join the power to end stroke. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Hey, there's my son. You've been in your room all morning. Hey, Dad. Um, Matt, what's wrong with your voice? There is nothing wrong with my voice. Oh, well, it's just sort of... I have been playing my video games and electronic games for so many hours. Uh-huh. Well, it sounds like it might be time for you to take a break or... Hello, Dad. Um, Susan? I have been watching TV and text messaging all morning. Yay, electronics. Guys, I think it's about time to get in the car and take a little trip. Maybe see some trees, some green things. What are these green things you speak of? This weekend, unplug. Take your family to the forest. There's nothing in the world like experiencing nature firsthand. Trees, paths, bluebirds, streams. Getting closer to nature can get you closer to your family. To find the forest nearest you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
are you trusting alone tonight in Jesus Christ for your salvation? For there is no other way, there is no other message. For there is no other way, there is no other message. Oh, come to him, come to the Saviour tonight. Come to him just as you are. Come to him in your sin. Come to him in all your needs. And cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Cast yourself wholly to him. And you too will enter into that joy of sins forgiven, peace with God, and eternal, abundant life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. For how will you escape if you neglect so great salvation? For how will you escape? If you neglect so great salvation, how can I say thanks for the things you have done for me?
Gloria a Dios.
Violence, theft, drugs, graffiti, it's all part of joining a gang. In times like these, we need to protect our kids and our community from gangs. Gangs often prey on teens with low self-esteem who perform poorly in school and who seek a sense of belonging. Protect kids from gangs. Know who they're hanging out with. Encourage them to become involved in school activities. Give kids a positive alternative to gangs. To learn more, visit ncpc.org or contact your local law enforcement agency. A message from the U.S. Department of Justice, National Crime Prevention Council, and the Ad Council. Dad, remember when you asked me, what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, shh, I want to get paid. Well, right after that, you said, there's no job called getting paid. Really? I said that? Yeah. And that's exactly when I knew. I wanted to go to college. You never know which moments will be the ones they remember forever. So take time to be a dad today. Learn more at one eight seven seven four dad 411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Looking for a lift? Experience a seat from the soar with Michael Guido of Metter, Georgia. A man had fallen, and the preacher asked, Sam, why didn't you say, get behind me, Satan? I did, he replied, but Satan said to me, since we're both going in the same direction, it makes no difference who leads. There are only two ways, our Lord said. Heaven can be entered only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide enough for all the multitudes who choose its easy way. But the gateway to life is small, and the road is narrow. Only a few ever find it. Our Lord said, I have set before you the way of life and the way of death. It's your move. For your free copy of Dr. Guido's daily devotional, Seeds from the Sower, write The Sower, Metter, Georgia, 30439. Visit us on the web at thesower.com. All right, Jack, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. This is Jam Radio Network. This is Jam Radio Network. This is Jam Radio 2.1. This is Quiet Storm Inspiration. You are listening to the Lighthouse Hour with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. You are listening to Morning Inspirations on Jam Radio 2.1. This is Morning Inspirations on Jam Radio 2.1. You are listening to Quiet Storm Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Oh, when he was 
on Jam Radio 2.1. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.